to Easter, I, I, I read you the opening question and answer from the 1563 Heidelberg Catechism. And because I'm going to preach again this morning on Christ as our only hope, I'm going to read it to you again. The question is, what is your only comfort in life and death? What is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is that I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that all things must be subservient to my salvation and therefore by his Holy Spirit he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready from now on to live unto him. Jesus is our only hope. He is our only comfort in life and death. My desire for you is that you will not only agree with that statement as a statement of fact, but you'll come to let that truth shape you so that you live your life each day knowing that Jesus is my only hope. He is my only hope. Now, last Sunday, we looked at Mark 10, 45, and we found hope and comfort in Jesus as the Son of Man who came to serve by dying to ransom many. We looked at ransom. Now, this Sunday, we're going to have another look at our hope in Jesus, this time from a very familiar passage. We're going to look at John chapter 3. You know, John three sixteen may be one of the most familiar verses in all the world. But John 3.16 is just one sentence found in the middle of a long conversation between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. This morning, we're going we're gonna to take in the whole of that conversation, and our goal is to see once more just how Jesus is our only hope. Just how he is our only hope. And with, with that in mind, I know you just sat down, but I'm going to ask you to stand as I read John chapter 3. John chapter 3, and I'll be reading through verse 18. This is the word of God. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? 
Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Father, this is your word, and Lord, specifically, we are looking at the words of Jesus himself this morning, the words of your Son, the words that you gave him. Lord, I pray that we would hear him, not just hear him, but actually understand his word to Nicodemus as a word to us today. And Lord, as we hear that word, may may you use it. May your spirit who inspired that word take it and use it in us. Lord, help us to believe. Help us to believe and help us to live lives that reflect that we believe what we will hear this very morning. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. May you be seated. This conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, we learn in this conversation that our hope in Christ is found only through rebirth. That our hope in Christ is found only through rebirth. And rebirth is, is our ticket to real hope. And that means that the way Jesus talks about rebirth is very important to us. What what does he say about this idea of being born again? Because as he does, as he describes rebirth, Jesus reveals that, that, first of all, our great desire must be the kingdom of God, that the only way to the kingdom is rebirth, that rebirth is only possible because of the cross, and that rebirth is only ours through faith. I mean, the gospel is built around this idea of rebirth as Jesus talks to Nicodemus. And we need to see that this morning. And we will. And first thing we see is, as we look at this, is that our our great desire, our great desire in life must be the kingdom of God. That needs to be what we long for. You know, verse 1, Nicodemus shows up. He wants to have a talk with Jesus. And it tells us about him. He's He's a Pharisee. Nicodemus is one of those men who believed that Israel, even though they were back in the land, the Jews were back in the land, that they were still in spiritual exile. They were distant from God and would be until they got the law right. Until we get our obedience to the law right, we'll be distant from God. That's what a Pharisee is. And so they focus on keeping the law. And Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. What that means is that Nicodemus is, is one of the leaders, probably part of the Sanhedrin, the ruling people. Rome ruled the government in the area, but, but when it came to matters Jewish, the Sanhedrin ruled, and Nicodemus is a member of them. And Nicodemus came to Jesus, it says, at night. 
He came at night. You know, Jesus is already a controversial figure, and, and Nicodemus wants to know who this Jesus really is. So, of course, he comes tonight. Nicodemus is a, is a religious politician. He doesn't want to be seen with a controversial figure till he knows where he stands. That makes sense. So he comes at night. And Nicodemus calls Jesus rabbi. And he says that God must have sent him because of the signs. Nicodemus is right. Jesus is a rabbi. He is a great teacher that men should learn the message of this rabbi and learn the life of this rabbi and imitate his message and his life. And, and he is sent from God and the signs in John. Well, that's the whole reason the miracles are in John is to confirm the message that Jesus is sent from the Father. Right? So Nicodemus is right. And, and Nicodemus comes and he, he says all this nice stuff about Jesus and Jesus responds in, in verse 3. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, you are right, essentially. He says, you are right. I am a teacher sent from God, sent from the kingdom of God. And you will never be a part of the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Unless you are reborn, Nicodemus, that kingdom that God sent me from, you'll never be part of that. So we're going to have to dig into this idea of being reborn. I mean, Nicodemus is going to dig into it, that's for sure. Uh, and, but before we do that, we need to establish what Jesus said here, that we should long to be part of the kingdom of God. And, and that with, without something happening, this rebirth, we're not. Right? The great desire of every man, woman, boy, and girl in their heart should be to be part of the kingdom of God as a citizen of the kingdom of God. You know, our world has many kingdoms. They come and they go. I, I, I looked at a map of, of Africa the other day. You know what? It doesn't even have the same names on it it did when I was a child. I mean, there's hardly any of them the same. Kingdoms come and go. Yeah, a man could be part of a kingdom one day and be part of a different kingdom the next day. Some kingdoms are prosperous. Some kingdoms are poor. Some are powerful. Some are weak. Some, are, some work to high moral standards and the others just don't seem to care. But there is only one kingdom ever that gets absolutely everything right and everything is good in that kingdom and always will be and it will always be a kingdom of joy and blessing and that is the kingdom of God and we should all long to be part of the kingdom of God. It, it should be the craving of our heart. Our great desire should be to be in the kingdom of God. This is so important to start with. I mean, it matters what you desire most of all. Because everything you think and do in life is ultimately shaped by your ultimate desire. If your greatest desire is influence, you're going to make every decision based on how much power you gain in that situation. If your greatest desire is fame, you're going to make your decisions based on what other people think of you. You want popularity. If your greatest desire is entertainment, you're going to set yourself up to be amused no matter what. You're going to put yourself in places where, where you can grin. But God did not create us to have the greatest desire of our heart be power or entertainment or, or, or fame. The great 
church teacher, the early church teacher Augustine wrote this prayer out to God. He said, you have formed us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. God created us to long for him and he is the king. God is never less than the king. So as we long for him, what we're longing for is the kingdom where he rules absolutely every aspect of our lives because we know that's where real joy and blessing are found. God created us so that we would pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we are, we are created as beings to long for the kingdom of our great almighty king. We long for that. That means things are only going to be the way they're supposed to be and right for us if, if we think that way. If that is the ultimate desire that, that affects our decisions and our actions. So it's very important that, that we understand that. Our great desire is to be for the kingdom of God. That said, to obtain the kingdom of God, we must be born again. I mean, if you get anything out of those first you know, 15 verses, you ought to get that. You must be born again. It's the whole discussion's about. Now, that, that's good news, right? There is a way. If the greatest desire of your heart is the kingdom of God, and Jesus says you must be born again to reach the kingdom of God, that means there is a way to get your greatest desire. That, that's good news. All you have to do is experience a new birth. Verses 3 and 5, though, make it very clear that that's exactly what has to happen. That there's nothing less than that. To see the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. To enter the kingdom of God, you've got to be born of water and the spirit, which followed again. So that's how you're born again. But both of those statements really demand a little attention here. I mean, what do they mean? The first statement, he says, you must be born again. Now, I don't like tossing around Greek words because I really don't expect you to learn Greek or think you need to know Greek to love Jesus, so, but, but it helps here. <laughs> the, the original Greek says you need to be born anothane, anothane. Now, that doesn't matter, but what does matter is that you can translate anothane two different ways, either born again or born from above. Born again or born, born from above, which means you've got to look at the context to figure out which it is. Is it born again or born from above? Now, remember how the conversation started? Nicodemus says, I know you must be sent from God. What is he saying? I know you must be sent from above. And then Jesus says in verse 3, you must be born anothane to see the kingdom of God, to see the kingdom above. So it seems that we're talking an awful lot about something above, right? It seems to fit well that, that what Jesus is saying is, the one, Jesus, who is the one from above, is saying that, Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom that is above, you need to be born from above. You need to be born fit to live in that kingdom. Now, Nicodemus hears him say, you must be born again. Right? He gets it wrong. So Nicodemus says, well, how in the world can a man be born when he's old as I am? He's certainly not going to jump back into the womb and go through that again. Right? I mean, that's what Nicodemus is saying. Because Nicodemus thinks he means born a second time. But then in verses 5 through 8, Jesus corrects him. 
He says to be born anothane is to be born of water and the spirit, which almost seems to confuse the matter more, doesn't it? Right? Because he said, okay, born from above, now he's saying water or spirit, and there's a lot of debate about what Jesus means when he says water or spirit. I don't think there needs to be because Jesus, I think, explains what it means to be born of the water and spirit. Either a man is born of the flesh or he's born of the spirit. Right? There is the spiritual, there is the fleshly nature. Born of the flesh, living a life of the flesh, will not gain you entry into the spiritual kingdom of God. Right? The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. You don't get in if all you are is flesh. Living for the flesh, only born of the flesh. You need to be reborn with a spiritual rebirth. Every man, woman, boy, and girl is born of the flesh. That's kind of what birth is, right? It's of the flesh. But not every man, woman, boy, and girl is born of the spirit. That requires a new birth, a born from above birth, to bear spiritual fruit and enter into a spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of God. You you must be born again, born from above to a life in the spirit, a spiritual new birth. It's an invisible new birth, Jesus says, right? It's kind of like the wind blowing. It's a real thing, but you don't see the wind. But you know it's real, but you don't see it. And Jesus says that's the way this this new birth is. It's it's a spiritual one. It's a from above birth. So to, to be part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom above, you need to be born fit for the kingdom. And since it's a spiritual kingdom, that's a spiritual birth from above. You know, as a, as a school child, grammar was not my favorite subject. As an adult, I wish it had been. <laughs> that would have been really handy to have studied that better. Uh, and the other reason I really wish it had been is the Bible is written with parts of speech assembled into clauses and phrases, put together into sentences, and then put together into paragraphs. And I want to understand my Bible. And the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John really demand that we pay some close attention to the grammar. I mean, listen to how Jesus says what he does about being born again or born from above. Verse 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then in verse 7, you must be born again. So grammar helps us see something important here that that you might have missed. There's not a commandment in any of those sentences. Right? I mean, he doesn't ever tell Nicodemus, go rebirth yourself. Nicodemus thinks he does. Nicodemus says, what in the world are you talking about, Jesus? How could I do that? That's not what Jesus says. He says, this is the necessary condition for the kingdom is rebirth. It's a prerequisite. That's what he, he's just describing the prerequisite. To enter the kingdom of God, you will need to have been reborn as a person fit for that kingdom. He hasn't said how yet. He's about to. But he hasn't said how yet, so we better get to the how. So the first thing we saw, you must desire the kingdom of God as your greatest desire. Second thing we see, the only way that kingdom gets to be your kingdom is if you're born again or born from above. Now we get to the third part, starts in verse 9. Rebirth is only possible 
because of the cross. What makes rebirth even possible is the cross. In verse 9, I think Nicodemus is starting to understand what Jesus is saying. I think it gets that Jesus is saying you need a spiritual rebirth from above. I think he's getting that part. I think he understands that, but he has no idea how that could be possible. How could a man be spiritually born from above? And that's why I think that's what he asked in verse 9. How can this be? Jesus, spirit and water, how? How can a man be born spiritually from above? Now, Jesus is unimpressed that Nicodemus has to ask that question. Why? Why would Jesus think Nicodemus should know the answer to that question? And that's, that's, that's important to consider, right? I mean, Nic- I mean Nicodemus is not a New Testament scholar because there's not been one written yet. He's an Old Testament scholar. So what Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you should have understood that a spiritual birth was required because you knew the Old Testament. Think about that for a little bit. He's saying, you know what? The prophets, the prophets all along told Israel that their only hope was that God would give them a new heart, a new heart. They had a hard heart and they needed a soft heart. They would never obey the commands of the Lord, the commands that the king of the kingdom of God gave them with the heart that was in them, the heart of flesh, the heart of stone. I mean, the heart of stone. They were going to need a new heart. Now, that sounds pretty rebirthy, doesn't it? Because, I mean, we all may talk about heart transplants, but I guarantee you Nicodemus didn't know, and most of you may not, who Barney Clark was. That's heart transplant guy. Okay, um, But the point is that the idea that you have a new heart, Jesus is saying you should have considered that meant you needed to be a new you. You needed to be born again, Nicodemus. You should have got that. You should have understood. So Jesus continues in verse 11. Jesus is from above is what he's saying. I'm from above. I can speak to anything about the kingdom of God, the kingdom above, because I'm from there. He's been talking to Nicodemus about earthly things, that every man, woman, boy, and girl is born of the flesh but needs to be born spiritually. That's an earthly thing. That's what every man, woman, boy, and girl on the earth needs to do to enter the kingdom of God. He says, but how in the world... If I've been talking to you about that and you don't get it, how am I ever going to explain to you the spiritual end of things? How am I ever going to get deep with you about the kingdom of God, Nicodemus? It it just seems like there's little hope for you if you can't get this first part, that the prophets have been teaching you all along that you needed to be a new you. And then in verse 13, Jesus declares that he is the son of man. He's the son of man. Remember last week, we looked into Daniel 7. In Daniel 7, we saw where, 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 where the Almighty, the Ancient of Days, gave the kingdom to the son of man who would then bring it to men. And Jesus says he is the son of man. And he explains that, that rebirth can happen, that someone can be born anew, born from above, born again. It can be possible, eternal life, can be possible. The life of a reborn person is an eternal life. 
And it's possible if the Son of Man is lifted up like the snake of Moses on a pole. It's like, Jesus, you're just making this complicated for us, right? I mean, you and I have read this like, a, if you've read your Bible much, you've read John 3 a few times. You've been down this road. But, I mean, Jesus is, is just making Nicodemus pull out all of his Old Testament. He says that, that if you want to be born again, what you're going to need is for the Son of Man to be lifted up like the snake on the pole was lifted up by Moses. Now, the book of Numbers tells us that whole story about what happened with Moses. There was a time when a lot of Israelites, because they had been sinful and rebellious against God, were bitten by poisonous snakes and about to die. A lot of them did die. And in that situation, Moses was told to take a bronze snake, put it on the top of a pole, and lift it up. And if the people looked up to the snake on the pole, they would live. And Jesus is saying, unless I, the Son of Man, am lifted up high like that snake on the pole, man can't be born again. Now, what does that mean? I mean, there's just all kinds of some strange stuff going on there, but it does mean at least this. The new birth is going to be a work of God, not a work of man. It's going to be a work of God that Jesus will accomplish when he is lifted up on the cross. Because that's how Jesus uses the lifted up language in the New Testament. It's the cross. And when he refers to the Old Testament, he does for a reason. Think about it this way. In the Old Testament story, the snakes were sent to judge sinful people, right? The, the snakes were sent to judge sinners. The people were bent and they would surely die. So the snake, the object of judgment on sin, was lifted up high and they were to look at that symbol and be saved from death to life. So Jesus is saying that in a similar way, he's the son of man, the one who comes as the judge of sinners. I mean, Jesus is God Almighty who comes as a judge to judge against sinners. He's saying, unless I am lifted up and, and judgment against sin is happening up here, and unless that happens, you can't be born again. He's saying that's how it was in the old covenant with Moses. That's how it is here. You've got to look to the one lifted up. And in the New Covenant, it's, it's different than it was in the Old Covenant because in the New Covenant, the mediator of the covenant himself, Jesus Christ, is lifted up on the pole. And he's not just a symbol of sin. He who knew no sin became their sin to be lifted up. And it's not just a cure for snake venom that he brought, provides. Instead, he provides new life via a rebirth. Eternal life is the life you get if you're born again into the kingdom of God. So only as you look to Jesus, the lifted up, crucified son of man, can you be born again. Rebirth is only possible because of the cross. So we want to be very clear here. There is no hope for anyone to be part of the kingdom of God outside of Jesus crucified. There is no hope outside of the cross of Christ. There have been many teachers over the ages who have 
tried to remove the life-giving nature of the cross from Christianity. Some tried to teach that Jesus just died as a, as a good man in a world full of bad people, and that that's sad, but that happens. Some have tried to teach that Jesus just died as an example, a heroic example that some gave all, kind of like a, all those Mel Gibson movies where it's always a hero who dies a tragic death as the hero. And that Jesus is just one of those. He's just another tragic death of a good man. Others have tried to teach that Jesus could not have died under the Father's hands, that, that God could not have been involved in that because that would be cosmic child abuse, they say, for the Father to do that to his son. Well, neither Jesus himself or any of the writers of the New Testament will have any of that. The new birth, which is the, the thing necessary for us to get this kingdom of God that is supposed to be our heart's desire, it can only happen if the Son of Man is lifted up. If the king who has received the kingdom is lifted up on that cross. It, it's only as, as he who is sinless becomes the, the carrier of our sin on that cross that we can be Come the righteousness of God in him. Have you ever thought about that? He who knew no sin became our sin, Paul says, so that we can become the righteousness of God in him. How can we become the righteousness of God if we're sinners? I'll tell you what Jesus says. You've got to be born again from above. You're not going to change and become righteous. You're going to have to be born again from above. It's going to require a new birth, a new life. So our, our, our great desire must be the kingdom of God. To receive, to, to get there, we're going to have to be born again from above, that spiritual birth for a spiritual kingdom. And the only way that ever happens is if Christ dies on the cross. And then we learn this, that it can be ours. We learn that it can be ours. The benefit of rebirth comes only by faith. Only by faith. It's like everything up to this still leaves you kind of Nicodemus-like, doesn't it? Right? I've got to be born again. I can be born again because Christ dies on a cross. But how does that get to be mine? How does him get to be for me? And I, and I already read in verses 14 and 15, it says... It is whoever believes in the lifted up Son of Man. Those who look to him with eyes of faith. Those who believe, only they may be born again from above and have eternal life. And Jesus, of course, says that. And then John, Jesus, it's debated. But Jesus may be done speaking at the end of verse 15. And this may be. Holy Spirit-inspired words from John starting in verse 16, or Jesus may still be speaking. Really doesn't matter. God said it, so it's true. But Jesus says this. He says that those who look to the lifted up Son of Man can be born again into the kingdom of God because God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes then 
in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So Jesus starts this explanation of how this is all going to be for you. Right? Son of man lifted up is how born again can happen, but how can it be for you? He starts the explanation with God's motive. God's motive in, in giving you new birth is love. Is love. It's not like, not like we always use the word love, or, or often use the word love at least. It's not the love motive that makes us pursue something because you think it's worthy, right? I mean, I might say, I love Corvettes. And so I'm going to do what it takes to pursue the object of my love. And I'm going to get me a Corvette. It's not that kind of motive that God has. God doesn't look at you like, like I might look at a fancy car. God loves because he chooses to love. That is, that, that is God's love. God just looks at you and he sees someone unworthy of love. We are about as unsports carry in the eyes of God as you can get. He looks and sees, but he chooses to love. So love is God's action. I choose to love them though they are unlovable is what God's motive is. God so loved. God so loved. And based on this, he acts, right? He, he loves this world full of fallen people so much, it says, that he gives his only son. He gives his only son. Motivated by his love for undeserving people, God gives his deserving son, and we know how, he gives him as a sacrifice. He gives him as a sacrifice, a sacrifice that is offered up on a cross. So God loves, which leads to God giving his only son, and he does that because giving his only son is the only way people can be born again. He loves them, and he, and, and, and he gives his son because that is the only possible way they can be changed and made fit for the kingdom, is if he gives his son. The son is crucified so that whoever believes will gain eternal life, will be reborn into this new life, which is eternal life. And, and, I mean, and the verses explain this. What keeps man from eternal life in the first place? And the answer, the first answer is sin, right? Because we're all born needing to be reborn, right? So sin is the first problem, the sins of the flesh. That's what keeps us from the kingdom of God in the first place, from eternal life. And what atones for sin, what, what fixes the sin problem is sacrifice, I mean, you read the Old Testament, you ought to at least get that point, that it requires a sacrifice to pay the price for sin. But then you have to ask yourself, what could pay the price for my sin? What could really pay the price for my sin? We know from Hebrews that it's not animals. You can't sacrifice animals because you've got to keep sacrificing animals. Right? So that's not it. It's got to be the sacrifice of a blameless sinless man. There has to be a man who will stand in the place of sinful men. And once that sacrifice is made, 
then man can be reborn from above, leading to eternal life because the sacrifice dealt with the sin problem. See, our sin is what keeps us from the kingdom of God. So until that sacrifice deals with the sin problem, we just can't be born into that kingdom. But once the sacrifice does, if we trust in him, we can be born into that kingdom and have eternal life. This is, I mean, I just hope you could see this. This giving his son is a remarkably unpredictable move by God. I mean, that's the point of verse 17. Daniel, the ancient of days, gives the Son of Man the kingdom, the power and authority, so that everyone would serve him, it says in in Daniel 7. So that means that he's going to come as the king and everybody's going to serve him. They're all wicked sinners, so he's going to judge them. That is what we should expect. There's no way you should expect that the Son of Man would come except as a judge. But instead, because God loves these undeserving people, he sends the Son of Man to be a sacrifice. He gives his Son to rescue a world. And in verse 18, just exclamation points it. I mean, it gives us the the significance of this. We are born as sinners, condemned as sinners, and we will perish into eternal darkness and suffering if we do not receive what is given by God. And the way to receive it is believe. Is believe. To place your faith in the fact that the Son of Man was the sacrifice for your sin. To believe. To believe that God loved you even though you didn't deserve it. To believe that God gave his son for you. To believe his son took your sin problem on and dealt with it so you have no barrier between you and the kingdom of God anymore. To believe. To believe that the son took our place because the father loved us. I mean, the picture is quite clear. Eternal death is the natural fate of man every man woman boy or girl is born on a parade marching straight to hell eternal life is the result of a new birth that comes because god loved hell-bound sinners enough to sacrifice his son for them and that eternal life is theirs not if they earn it because they can't earn it Not if they do some rituals, because rituals, well, they're just rituals. That eternal life is theirs if they will just trust the Son. Just believe. Believe he really is the Son of Man. Believe he really is the gift of God. Believe he really took your sin, and you could have eternal life. The benefit of rebirth comes to us only by faith. What does that mean? What is faith? That's a good question. It, what, is, what does it mean to have faith, what, to believe in Jesus? Well, uh, honestly, it just means you believe everything Jesus just said. It, 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 you believe he really is who he says he is. You believe he really did what God sent him to do. And you believe that he was successful in doing it. And, and, and now, it, it, it's not just a multiple choice test or a true-false exam here. You know, I'm not going to just hand out a question. Do you believe Jesus is 
is God's son who died on the cross to save you of your sin. And if you mark true, you get the kingdom of God. And if you mark false, you don't. Right? Though if you mark false, you probably don't. I'm going with that one. But, but it's not just a thing where you get the right answer. Because belief and faith change you. Right? If you really believe all this is true, how are you going to treat the commands of the Almighty God? If you really think the greatest thing you could ever have is the kingdom of God, and you really believe that you had to be born again to get into it, and you really believe that God made it possible for you to be born again by sending his son out of an act of love to suffer for you so that, that you could be born again by faith. If you really believe that, and you've, you've got this new birth so that you can now be in the kingdom of God, are you not going to live according to the commands of the king? If the greatest desire of your heart was that kingdom and you believe Jesus died for that kingdom and you trust him to have done that for you, are you not going to want to live like a citizen of the kingdom? That's faith. It's believing that, that, that it's all true. And that you are now, because you've been born again to eternal life, a citizen of of a better kingdom. And you're going to live the rest of your life that way. Belief results in new life, but belief, it's not a work. I mean, you never obey the commands to get the new birth. You believe to get the new birth, but once you're really born again, you live like a citizen in your new kingdom. Jesus is our only hope in life and death. Our greatest desire being the kingdom of God, the only way to, be to get the kingdom of God is to be born again. And the only way to be born again is by looking to him on the cross with eyes of faith. How do you respond to that? Well, we've been talking about that, haven't we? You believe. So it, this morning, if you've never done that, if you've never actually trusted that Jesus did that for you, I beg of you, trust him today. There is no other hope available for you in life or death except that you be born again by trusting in Jesus today. So please do that. And we're, we're going to have an invitation at the close of our service. And I'm going to ask if, that if you have believed, if this is the day you believe, I'm going to ask you to come and share that with us because kingdom citizens love company. And if you have believed today, we want to rejoice with you. We want to do that. But I also want to do this. I want, to, I want to encourage you, if you have believed and you knew coming here today already that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, that you were born again, I want to encourage you to remember this. Jesus is your neighbor's only hope in life and death. Jesus is your nephew's only hope in life and death. Jesus is your co-worker's only hope in life and death. We must share this good news. Because there is no other news that will make a man a kingdom of God citizen, a citizen in the kingdom of God. No other news. And, and, and where we can't go, let's send those who can. Let's be about this work of missions. Let's send missionaries everywhere we can if we can't go. Because Jesus is everyone's only hope.
in life and death. Father, we thank you for your word, this word of Christ. And Lord, there's just so much, so much here. But it really boils down to this. Do do we believe? So God, I I ask that, that, that if, if a single person entered this room this morning in unbelief, I pray that your spirit would grant them the gift of faith. I pray that you would soften their heart, that you would open their eyes, that they would give up trying to be right enough for the kingdom, and that they would turn in faith to Jesus and be saved. Please, Lord. And God, may, may we, who came here as believers, citizens of that kingdom, may we live that out in our lives by obeying your commands. May we live that out in our lives by going to others and reminding them that their only hope is Jesus. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.